The reading this morning is from Second uh, Timothy uh, chapter 4, which is the last uh, chapter of Timothy. It, you'll find that on page um, 1199 of your Pew Bibles. This uh, chapter contains quite a number of unpronounceable names, but I'll do my best. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do, you be- do, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard and against him, because he strongly opposed our message. As for my defence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the house of Onesphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Ebulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with you, with your spirit, and grace be with you all. I know when you got that reading, you thought. What did I do wrong, Lord? (laughs) Good to be here. If you're not familiar with me and you're a visitor, my name's Bruce Clark and I'm going to bring the message. And before we start, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you we can be here today. 
And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart upon your word would be pleasing to you. And so we do ask, Lord, that by your spirit, as we read your word, that you transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder if you can remember having a significant farewell speech that you've had to give. Um, there's something significant when we have to say goodbye and finish up at a place. And when you have to give final words to a group, um, it can be very difficult, it can be quite emotional. Um, and for a whole host of reasons, there can be circumstances where you've chosen to leave, but there can also be circumstances where you just have to leave, uh, or there's circumstances where you've been told you must leave. And for all those reasons, uh, when you get to the time where you have to say goodbye, it can be very difficult. Um, I've only had to do a significant farewell speech once. Uh, in my last ministry, I was there for 15 years, and we had a, a wonderful time. We saw many people come to faith, and the church had grown. But there came a time when I'd taken the job here, and one of the things I dreaded was having to preach my last sermon. Uh, dreaded in the sense that it would be an emotional day and I remember uh, preaching and I remember thinking what would I speak on and the text I chose was Psalm 115 and if you're not familiar with it it starts like this not to us Lord not to us but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness and I wanted that day to give glory to God for all that I'd seen happen um, down in Wollongong at the church at Fig Tree. Now, why do I mention that? Well, we come today to some very significant last words. They're the last words of the Apostle Paul. And if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to open up. We're at page 1199 for the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. Page 1199. And it's chapter 4 of 2 Timothy with all those wonderful names that Rod has just read. And this today is really the last recorded words we understand from the Apostle Paul. It's his final speech. It's his last will and testament, you might say, to the church. And they're significant for a number of reasons. One is, he's our Apostle. And when I say he, being our Apostle, I take it most people here today are probably not Jewish. And the Apostle Paul was the Apostle to the non-Jewish people. He had a very special role that was given by the Lord Jesus. And secondly, he was really the apostle that founded the mission outside of the Jewish people as the apostle to the Gentiles. And we're here today in many ways because of the movement of the gospel that began with the apostle Paul. He was there in Jerusalem, but he took the gospel beyond the realms of Jerusalem out into Asia Minor, which we call Turkey today. He went across to Greece he ended up in Rome, which is where he is in this letter, and he's in prison and he's literally about to die. And because of the impetus that he gave, the gospel continued to go out to the ends of the world, even to Australia. And he did in a very short time, 25 to 30 years is all he lived as a follower of the Lord Jesus, after his dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus. And he took the gospel out with great power, but also with great opposition. Many turned to Christ as he preached the gospel, but many were opposed to him. In fact, it's almost like there's a train of people following behind him, trying to kind of put out the fire of the gospel that he's lit. 
And many of his letters are written as he writes back to the churches that he started to help them sort out problems because people have come in to undo what he began as they debate and dispute the gospel. And he writes this letter to Timothy. And we come to the last chapter. And they're weighty words. In fact, I didn't sleep that well last night and I think it was because um, there is a great power and significance about this chapter. Uh, We're on holy ground, so to speak, as we literally look at Paul's last words. I don't know if you've sat with someone who knows they're going to die. Uh, There's a weight and a significance to that moment and I've done it on a number of occasions. There's only so much chatter you can have about who won the footy last night or if it's summertime what's happening in cricket or what's happening in the world of politics because when you sit with someone when they're about to die there are far bigger questions at play to do with where a person's at are they ready to meet their maker are they at peace with God And as a minister, that's one of the functions you want to do. And let me just say, it doesn't have to be a minister doing it. Any person can share the gospel with someone in their last hours. And the thief on the cross who came to faith literally in his last hour is a great reminder that it's never too late. And Paul writes these words with death imminent. And they're very direct and we need to be confronted by them, they're very passionate and we need to feel the urgency of them and they're very significant and we need to understand why. And in a nutshell, what he wants to say to us and what he wanted to say uh, to Timothy on that day was this, preach the word no matter what circumstances, no matter what help, until the end. And that's what we need to hear today as a church in the 21st century, that we need to continue to preach the word no matter what the circumstances, no matter what help we might have until the end comes. And let's have a look at that, uh, if I can say, unpacked that meaning. Firstly, preach the word. Now, if you've been reading through with us in 2 Timothy, you can't help but help notice that one of the themes that is all the way through this wonderful letter is his encouragement to be teaching or preaching the Word of God. Now, if you're new with us today and you're a visitor, um, I'm just going to take us back on a few verses because um, it's just rich, this theme of teaching and preaching God's Word. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. That's the proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of God. Chapter 1, verse 11, and of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. In other words, the gospel needs to be proclaimed. The gospel needs to be told. The gospel needs to be explained. Chapter 1, verse 13, what you have heard from me, in other words, my teaching, keep that as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 2, You can see Paul looking ahead, he says, The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Deep in his heart is this concern that the gospel message keeps going on for generations. Chapter 2, verse 15, he instructs Timothy that he must correctly handle the word of truth. Chapter 2, verse 25, he said, Opponents must be gently instructed 
in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, You, Timothy, however, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose. And in verse 15, you've known the Holy Scriptures which have been able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. You see, teaching or preaching to Paul were fundamental to a church's existence. Which leads us to this chapter and to these weighty words. Chapter 4. In the presence of God, Timothy, and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. You see, the one thing he says we must never stop doing is to preach the word. I wonder if you're familiar with this famous speech. Even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen or may fall in the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of the Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills and we shall never surrender. Now you know who spoke those words, don't you? Winston Churchill. See, what was he saying? Whatever happens, what are we going to do? We're going to fight. And we're going to fight to the end. And Paul has that same resolve. And he says to Timothy and he says to us, friends, we must preach the words. In other words, we must continue to preach and announce the gospel. That Christ is risen. That he is the saviour of the world. And he gives life to all who will repent and believe in him and trust in his death for the forgiveness of their sins. You see, his great concern is that the gospel will be preserved and continue on. Now, how does that happen? Well, you preserve the gospel by preaching the gospel. You defend it by proclaiming it. That's the paradox. You just keep preaching it. The word of God in every generation must be read, it must be believed, and it must be taught and it must be proclaimed. That is how God grows his church it's through the preaching of the gospel but why preaching uh, let me put this photo up um, if you don't recognize the man there that's is the screen not working thank you for telling me scott you've missed my great graphics so far it's all right coming on my computer <laughs> there is this wonderful photo of Billy Graham preaching to thousands of people <laughs> looks quite good I thought but anyway <laughs> so just imagine that photo but it's in grainy black and white 
And the point I wanted to make with the photo was, um, preaching, some might think, was an activity from a past age. And it was great back then, but is it what we need to do today? Oh, there you go. The great Billy Graham. The crowds enthralled. Buses had to bring them all in. But is preaching something for today? Maybe there's other things at church that are just as important or we should do more of, like singing or praying or fellowship or community or small groups or baptism or communion or pastoral care or feeding the poor. And let me just say, all of those things are really important. They're all really important, but they're not primary. You see, all of the activity we have at church is a response to hearing God speak to us through the proclamation of his word, all of them. You see, we sing because we've heard the word preached to us and we've believed the gospel. We care for people because we've heard the word preached to us and we've received God's love in our life and we want to give it to other people. We baptise people because we've heard the gospel and we've believed it and we want to be baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. And you name every activity we do in church and all of it is a response to the proclamation of the word or the gospel. And you see, Paul has this deep conviction that what must always continue on, what must never stop, the one thing we must do is we must preach the word. And you see, it's because of his conviction about God in the first instance. The incredible reality of God is this. He is a God who speaks. And from the very first verses of Scripture, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when the earth is formless and void, what happens? God spoke and the world was created. And his voice is a word that brings life and light to people. The gospel message is the message that God has spoken definitively and finally and clearly in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, if you're here today and you've never heard the gospel, it's a message of good news. It's a message that God has come to us even though we've turned away from him. And he's died for us in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus, and he's risen to conquer death and he offers eternal life to all who will turn and trust in him. Now, I could just be here preaching the gospel all afternoon. I'd love it. But you see, that's what we're called to do is to preach the word because it's primary, it's foundational. But secondly, we had to preach the word because you see, the Apostle Paul had this deep conviction, not just about God, but about scripture. And you see that in verse 16 of chapter 3, where he says those famous words, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. This book is a human book, 66 books, human authors, with all of the style and flavour and flourish that comes with human literature. There's poetry, there's narrative, there's history, there's prophetic words. But the deep-held conviction of the Apostle and myself and here at St Matthew's is that this human word, they're actually the very words of God. And so there's a word that needs to be proclaimed, day in, day out. So how must we preach? 
Well, listen to verse 1 again, because there's a, a very significant weight to what he says. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. I don't know if you can express it with more weight than that. In other words, Timothy, and I'd say myself and anyone who wants to announce the gospel, do it cognizant of the fact that God is there with you. Uh, And not just there with you, cognizant of the fact that Jesus Christ is the judge of the living and the dead and that he's going to return. So whenever you get up to preach, make sure you're aware of that, Timothy. Friends, God is here with us today. And he is speaking through his word. The living God. The God who is the judge of all humanity. The judge of the living and the dead. The God who will one day return. I love what Spurgeon said in terms of preaching the word. Preach not calmly and quietly as though you were asleep. But preach with fire and pathos and passion. In other words, preach to move men and women's souls. Well, that's the first thing we must never stop doing. It's preach the word. Secondly, no matter what circumstances, we must preach the word. Have a look what he says there at the end of verse 2 through to verse 5. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage and with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires... They'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. What Paul is saying is this. Be prepared to preach all the time. Whether it's a good time or whether it's a bad time, whether the church is full or the church is empty, whether people need correcting, whether they need rebuking, whether they need encouraging, Timothy, preach the word. And I'd say the same to us as a church. We need to, in all seasons of life, be hearing the word of God. But do it patiently. In other words, give people time and space to respond. Uh, There's no place for manipulation of people's hearts and minds in preaching. Don't be aggressive, but rather do it carefully and make sure people understand what you're saying. Be well prepared. But then he goes on to say, there'll come a time when people won't want to listen to preaching. And I read those words and I thought, there's no doubt about that. I mean, we live in that day and age today. This is an anomaly, statistically in terms of Australians, uh, that you're here listening to the Word of God. Now, it's wonderful that you're here, but we really are a minority of great significance. And in fact, the gospel used to be, if I can say, put up with. Now, uh, there's enormous resistance in our culture to someone proclaiming that there is only one God who's revealed himself in the Lord Jesus Christ and that all people need to turn to him and live. Uh, That's not a popular message today. We live in an age where tweets can be no longer than 140 characters. An age where people say preaching is out of date. 
an age where people say it bears no relevance to my life but I think the word of the gospel is relevant for everyone it's the word that brings life to all souls to those who will believe and repent Uh, it's the word that prepares every person for eternity for when they will meet their maker for there is only one God and one saviour the Lord Jesus Christ and the preaching of the word announces that and prepares people and it grows his church I never forget as a young Christian moving to the country to work, uh, I was building a dam, well not me, I was helping build a dam, um, down at between Bega and Marimbula, it was the Tantawanglo Dam. And I went to the local Anglican church and it was a very interesting affair to go to. There was a retired minister who'd taken charge uh, for a year, he was what's called the locum. And his name was Joe Mullins, he was actually the father of Danny Mullins who was our mission partner in Paris. And Joe had been converted in World War II in Burma. He was in the Queen's Brigade. He had this lovely British moustache and spoke like this. And he said, I woke up one morning from a stoush with the Japs. And he said, I took off my helmet. And I've seen the helmet. And there's five holes in it. They literally went in here and out there, in here, out there. One went across his head and split it open and he had a gash across there one went across the back his head was surrounded by bullets that night and he woke up in the morning he took his helmet off he said my god I should be dead (laughs) and when you look at the helmet you think you should have been Joe he said I'm yours (laughs) if you keep me alive I'll come back as a missionary (laughs) and he did and he went back to India as a missionary in his retirement he came to Australia And he was my minister for six months in Roomula. They had the annual general meeting of this church. It was an interesting place. It never felt kind of alive spiritually. In fact, it felt quite dead. And at the AGM, a motion was put to Joe. Can the minister either stop preaching or can we just have a short five ten minute homily on how to live a good life but none of these long biblical sermons now what would you do if that you were the minister at that church I remember seeing Joe the next week and I said how'd it go he said well they had this motion this is what happened I went you're kidding me I said what are you going to do he just looked at me preached the gospel didn't flinch he said I'm a soldier for Christ Bruce He said, we don't stop preaching. He said, they need it more than ever. And that's what Joe did. He just kept preaching the gospel in season and out of season. No matter what the circumstances. They obviously haven't understood it, Bruce, and so they definitely need to hear it. Now, is this just a word for me as the minister and the preaching staff? No, it's definitely not. You see, a healthy church, the word of God is being proclaimed to each other at every level of the fellowship. It definitely, in a sense, starts here. We proclaim and call people to faith and to service 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in our small groups, what's happening is, well, you won't have a pulpit there, but you're actually preaching the word of God to each other. And you're speaking the word to each other and believing it. It's what I hope happens in families, that you are preaching to your kids and raising them to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, It's why we're so keen about the word one-to-one, because it's such a marvellous way for people to be able to gently and winsomely actually proclaim the word of God by just reading it with them. We've had over 100 people trained in this over the last two weeks and it's been so encouraging to hear stories of people who've started reading the word using the word one-to-one materials with people who are not part of God's family yet. And we pray there'll be a great harvest. You see, we must preach in our groups, we must preach in our congregations, we must preach in our homes. We must preach on the beaches, you might say. We must never stop. Whoops, that was a mistake, I hit the wrong button. And lastly, no matter what help. I'm going to jump over 6 and 8 and come back to it, but let's have a look at verse 9, because in this last section with all those wonderful names that Rod had to read, what Paul does is he reminds Timothy of his struggles, and by extension he reminds us of the reality of how difficult it can be to actually keep preaching the word. Verse 9, do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Dalmatia. And I think that verse 10 is one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. Demas was actually a co-worker with the apostolic group. And you see him earlier in the letters, working alongside the apostolic team. But now he has deserted Paul. Why? Because he loved this world. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. I don't think they've fallen away in their faith, but they're not with him. And you see, Paul reminds us there, there's a reality of life that will confront you at some stage. People who began the Christian journey with you, some may fall away. There may be periods where you don't have much Christian contact around you or support or fellowship and yet you must keep going. Verse 11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Now, it's wonderful that Mark appears here because, you see, earlier Paul has distanced himself from Mark. He thought he was flaky. They actually separate in their mission. But now they're back together. It's a great reminder of the power of the gospel to reconcile people. He's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my skulls, especially the parchments. And what's happening here is, even in his last week, perhaps, of his life, Paul is so passionate to continue the work on of preaching the gospel. And what you may not be aware of, the parchments that he speaks of, I suspect, now I can't confirm this to you, but I suspect, is probably to do with his ministry that he had with Luke to write the book of Acts and to finish it off. Luke was Paul's travelling companion. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. It was in circulation by the time 1 Timothy is written. It's actually quoted as scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And I suspect Paul wants to finish off the project, the second volume of Luke's work here, 
And you see, even though people have abandoned him, he wants to continue the work of preaching the gospel. And in prison, one of the ways was to have it written down. Verse 14, I'm glad I'm not here, uh, mentioned the way Alexander is. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. Now, imagine being Alexander, the metal worker, for all eternity, having your name inscribed in scripture that way. <laughs> God's going to get you. He obviously did a great deal of harm. I suspect that he tried to totally undo the gospel message that Paul proclaimed. Because he says to Timothy, be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. He was a false teacher who was literally trying to undo the gospel. And friends, don't forget if you preach the gospel, you will be opposed. It's the one guarantee that is all through scripture. There will be opposition, it will be difficult. I remember telling one of my longtime friends from school who I'd known for a significant amount of time that I was going to Bible college. We had lunch in the AMP Centre. I was working in the city at that point as an engineering student and we caught up and we'd known each other for many years and done lots of things together and we're sitting across the table from each other having lunch and I said to him, David, um, I've actually got some news to tell you, I've uh, made a decision, I'm going to go to Bible college and become a minister and I think I was about five years into my degree, almost finished but I knew that's what I wanted to do, I was in my early 20s and he just sat there with a look of a gas. He was just stunned. And I never forget, he leant back in his seat and he looked at me and he said, You fool. What a waste. We finished lunch that day and I've never seen him again. He cut off all ties. You see, we are called to preach the gospel no matter what circumstances, no matter what help. We just keep preaching. But I love the way he ends. He said, at my first defence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. And you see, what he's referring to is he was on trial in Rome for his faith and his supporters actually went weak at the knees and they abandoned him. And you can see his grace may not be held against them. But he says, you know what, the Lord stood at my side and he gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Even on trial, facing death, he still continued to preach the gospel. Why? Because God strengthened him. And that's the wonderful news of the gospel. We have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit to strengthen us through all of this. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we are to preach the gospel and preach the word no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the help until the end. And let me finish with these famous words that sum up Paul's life. And I pray we too can utter at the end of our own lives. Because he says to Timothy in verse 6, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Friends, there is a thing we must never stop doing. 
And that's preaching God's word, whether it's in church, whether it's out in the world, we must not stop announcing that Jesus is Lord, that the Christ has risen, that there is hope for people and eternal life for all who will come to the Lord Jesus and trust in him and turn and give their lives to him. Whether it's a good time to do it or an awkward time or a bad time, we keep preaching the word because through the preaching of the gospel, the very word of God, God will be at work to bring people into his kingdom and to grow his church. And friends, can you say with Paul these words that you fought the good fight, that you are finishing the race well, that you are keeping the faith? Because that's the challenge for us today. And I wonder as you sit here today, would you be able to echo those words on this day? That you are running with purpose and focus to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That you are running that race with a passion and a desire, not being put off by all that hinders and distracts us in this world. Do you have the finishing line in sight so that you know you will finish well? Are you keeping the faith? Because the challenge for us today on this day is that we keep running the race and we keep preaching the word and we keep serving the Lord Jesus faithfully until the end. Let me stop and pray. I'm going to allow us a moment just to be quiet. And just to hear what God is saying to us this day. What has God been speaking to you through his word this day? Perhaps you've never heard the gospel and today you're starting to hear it for the first time. I encourage you, open your heart and receive Christ as Lord and Saviour. Perhaps you're new to the Christian faith and you know there's a long race ahead. I pray that you will know the strength of God this day, the assurance that he will give you the strength to keep going. Perhaps this day you might say, I'm faltering, I've fallen. May you know God's grace and forgiveness to get back on track. Let me pray. Father, wherever we are in the race of life and in serving the Lord Jesus Christ, may we have Christ before us as our Lord and Saviour. May we run towards him as we faithfully proclaim your word in this world, this word of life, this word that brings light and forgiveness and hope. May we have confidence in it and joy in giving it away. In Jesus' name, amen.